0: To see you today. I want to welcome you to Seacoast. I also want to welcome uh, those of you who are joining right, right now uh, either at an off-site campus or uh, in the chapel or the warehouse uh, here at the Long Point campus or on the internet. We're glad you're along also again this week. I want to welcome the campuses from Crossroads Church, uh, seven of them in the Midwest and then also in Denver uh, and in Vancouver. So in campuses we stretch this week from the East Coast to Uh, to the West Coast in Vancouver. Listen, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever gone to a movie and you were disappointed with the ending? Anybody? Okay, all right. Most of us have. You know, why did you go? Great PR got you there. And then, you know, a reasonable storyline kept you involved, but the ending left you flat. Remember that? What were they thinking? I mean, I could name several of them. One of them would be... um, the vow uh, that we studied in our last series. Uh, you know, at the end of the movie, it's like, uh, make up your mind about what they're going to do. You know, we're supposed to make up our mind. And I'm thinking, I paid you eight bucks. You know, have an ending on this thing. Or give me at least $2 back, you know, whatever. <laughs> seems like maybe, you know, in some of those movies, it seems like maybe they just decided it was, it was a good idea, and it was fun uh, to do a movie and oh man, we forgot to think about the ending until we got to the ending, and we just kinda made up one. You know what would be a good idea? How about if you think about the ending first and work backward from there? Now that's not bad advice for anything in life. It's good advice. When you're building a house, if you've ever built a house, you usually start off with what? The end in mind. You have a picture of what you want, you know, an architectural drawing, And then you build systematically toward that. Now, if you don't do that, you might end up with a house that looks like this. Actually, it's kind of a cool house, but I thought it was a cool picture. Anyway, uh, we may not use that in the next service. You guys didn't think it was that funny. (laughs) What if you started a business? When you start a business, you need a picture of what success looks like. I mean, if we do it right... This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to impact other people. This is how it's going to impact me. All too often, we don't start a business with the end in mind, and you focus on the wrong things, and one day you wake up and you wonder, why did I ever start this? Why did I start it? Same is true with raising kids. If you don't have a picture of what the end looks like, then life will just happen. How do you know that life happens? It tends to just happen. And your family may end up squeezed into a mold that doesn't fit and is disappointing uh, in the end. We're in a series, this is the second week of a four-week series called Fight for the Heart because the next generation is worth fighting for. And we're using a book kind of as the premise for the series. It's by Reggie Joyner, Carrie Newhoff, called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. Uh, Many of you got those last week. If you didn't get one, uh, they may have them at your campus, or you can uh, uh, go online and pick that up. But uh, last week, the, the, um, the idea for the message was widening the circle of relationships. We talked about how that as a community, we're responsible for the next gen. We're using as an overall foundation of our series, uh, Moses' command to Israel, Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where he starts it with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he doesn't just say, Parents, I want you to listen up. He says, I want the whole faith community to listen up. And that's why this series is not just to parents. Um, It's it's for all of us because it does take a community uh, to to raise a child. And we're all responsible together uh, for sharing our faith and passing it on to the next generation. You, you may be single, never, never had children. And, and how does this apply to you? I think it's going to apply to you. It applies to us in the sense that we're all uh, responsible for the next generation, but it also applies in some very specific ways. Maybe you're a grandparent. definitely applies to you. Maybe you're a married couple that's never had children. How does this apply to you? Again, we're a part of a community. And uh, we made that case and laid that out very carefully uh, last, last week and I'm excited about the parents taking up the fight for the heart challenge. I know here at this campus we gave away packets uh, at the end of the service that for those that wanted to dig deeper into our, uh, into our topic and uh, I don't know if it was tiny, uh, tiny heart syndrome on our part or, or what but we had uh, three times as many people wanting packets as what we had prepared for and so we've made up some more this week. Now, I also am excited about people volunteering to be a part of the process. I know I had uh, some singles after last week said, you know what, we're going to step up and serve in children's ministry or student ministry or whatever because we want to be a part of the process of of, uh, passing our faith to the next generation. Uh, I had others uh, who said, we're going to join a small group. I had one guy that said uh, there wasn't a small group in our neighborhood, so I just contacted a few Seacoasters in our neighborhood. And I think they've already fired up a small group with half a dozen families, which is kind of of cool about getting involved. Well, this week, uh, we're going to use Deuteronomy chapter 6 all through the series, but I also want to lay kind of beside that one scripture from the New Testament. It's Romans 12 and verse 2. If you have an outline sheet, you can uh, follow along with that, or maybe you have a a PDA or a Bible. Um, And I'd like us to read it out loud here and in the campuses Let's read it out loud together. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. One translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's what happens if you're not proactive. But he says be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now that's good advice for singles and individuals, but it's also good advice for family. And so this week I want I want to talk just a few minutes about how to live with the end in mind. How do we keep from being squeezed into a mold that doesn't fit and we begin with a process of saying, God, what do you want as the ultimate outcome for my my kids and for my family, if you're a parent, you're in the center of the bullseye this week. This is, this is all going to apply to you. If not, these principles will apply to a much broader audience. In fact, we were sitting down this week talking about another situation that had nothing to do with parenting. And someone said, you know, the, the principles that we're teaching this weekend fit exactly into that. And so kind of look through it through two lenses uh, this weekend as we, as we kind of kick off. Three ideas from Scripture on how to uh, live with the end in mind. And here's the first one. First thing you do is decide um, what is important. Got to decide what is important. Anybody here ever get sidetracked? Anybody? Listen, I'm ADD, so I live my life sidetracked. I I really do. um, A lot of you know I wrote wrote a book, Irreverent, and um, when I travel other places and speak, uh, they want to know what the book is about and, and why they should read it. And I tell them that it's stories, you know, uh, some of your stories, my story, all of our stories about our struggles with faith and doubt and hope and discouragement, love and sex. And um, and I always say that uh, since I, I, I have problems focusing, I've got stacks of books that I've only read like one or two chapters or it's hard for me to get through an entire book. And I always tell them that... Uh, this book is written from my perspective for those of you who have problems focusing because you can start on any, any chapter and create your own adventure. It doesn't really matter. They, they don't tie together and uh, you just go anywhere, anywhere you want. Um, and that sounds fun, but I have, I have to have structures and people in my life to stay focused on what's important or else otherwise, I'm, I'm sidetracked all the time. And it's really easy to lose focus on what matters when you're raising kids. In fact, too often parents get sidetracked into thinking that the end goal is to make the kids happy. I wanna make my my child, my child deserves happiness. After all, we live in America, which is the pursuit of life, liberty, and what? Happiness, happiness. And so we wanna make our kids happy. So we'll do anything, uh, go anywhere just to make them happy. We don't like it when they're in a bad mood. Well, Johnny, let me get you some $300 LeBron James tennis shoes. That will help you feel better. I know they will. Or here, place some angry birds on my phone. That'll, that'll cheer you up, angry birds. Actually, that's a pretty good idea. When you're in a restaurant, some of you should do that. Uh, <laughs> y- y- they need to be happy for everybody else's benefit. You know, There's a billion-dollar marketing machine bent on making your kids happy. They know you'll sign up for anything to assure that your child is socially adept, experientially rich, and academically well-rounded. So we'll, we'll pay for and recruit coaches and tutors and trainers and mentors to make sure that our kids you know, dance better and sing clearer and run faster, jump further, test higher than other kids. The author of the book that we're studying in this series says that at some point, almost all parents cross a line. You know, we, we cross a line into kind of getting, getting, getting off on what really matters in life. I know I did. I, I wish the line had these, like, orange blinking signs on it so we could see as a parent, hey, this doesn't matter that much. You've kind of got your priorities off. See, when happiness or achievement is the goal, then we settle for far less than what God has for us and has for our families well so what is the goal Moses defined it he defined the starting point and the ending point Deuteronomy 6 4 hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one he says that's it He says everything in life whether it's parenting whether it's work whether it's school whatever it is everything in life hinges On that one statement, God is God. I love uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. The the first line in the whole book says, it's not about you. And it's not. It's still not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your kids. It's about God. God is the beginning. God is the end. It's all about him. He's to be Number one on our list, and that's what Moses is saying. We've got to elevate God to where he belongs. If I were to ask most of us here, what's number one on your list? Well, you know, you're in church and you would say God. We all have lists, but oftentimes it's something besides God that's on our list. Money might be on some people's list, number one. Status might be on lists. Marriage might be number one on a list. Appearance. For some of you, appearance is not very high at all on your list I'm trying to put it up higher did you notice that got a jacket on that's right that's what I'm talking about but it's not number one here's one that I see in our church especially in our society as number one and that's kids kids are number one guess what it's not right it's not right in fact the Bible defines anything that's on your list as number one other than God it's called an idol the Bible says have no other gods, no idols before you. And you know, we don't have very many idols as far as like the, the, you know, the carved stone or whatever it is uh, from the era when the Bible was uh, written, but we have all kinds of idols. We have things that we promote as number one in our lives. And I see that, uh, family, more and more families being kid-centric. The kids are number one. The, the pendulum has swung from, you know, uninvolved dads and families and what have you uh, over this direction. I think it's swung too far, to be real honest with you, because it's all about the kids, kids-centric, um, and, and that's not where it's supposed to be. Um, you, can, you can tell, so, so how, can I, how can I tell? Right, let me just say one, one thing about that when Debbie and I were raising our kids, uh, and I'm kind of old school on this, but I believe it to be true. Um, we loved our kids and still do. You know, I'll, if you want to get in a competition, I'll compete with you on who loves your kids most, you know. Love our kids. But we told our kids, when they were grow, growing up in our home, you're just visitors here, okay? <laughs> and I would tell them directly, you don't mess with my deal. You know, you, you make your mama unhappy, you know, the saying, When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. When daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody cares. You know, that's the deal. <laughs> You make your mama unhappy, you're messing with my deal. And you're just a visitor here. We're planning on, we were here before you came, we're planning on being here a long time after you, you leave. We love you a lot, but it ain't about you. It's about God, it's about us, and then you're number three. And we love you, but you're not number one. And what I see in today's society is kids number one, kids number one. And what does that mean? That's an idol. That's an idol. And uh, ultimately, um, it will not serve you well. You can tell what's most important about what you uh, 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 most important to you uh, by what you fear losing. If we don't start with God, we will end up in the wrong place. Somebody said it doesn't really matter what our kids know if they don't know what matters. I can remember um, sitting down with a teacher in a parent-teacher conference one time, and just in a very Wonderful teacher in a, in a great school. But I was I was sitting down and explaining our family values because I thought, we're in this together, okay? As our church community is in it together, our school is in it together to help raise our kids. And so I, I said, we're in it together. You need to know up front, this will keep frustration from you and from me, if you understand what our family values are, what our goals are. I want to tell you what our goals are for our kids. Number one, the goal is that they will learn to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and spirit. That's number one goal. Um, and when they're through with all of their education, that's one of the things I'm going to evaluate of how we did together on, on where they're going because that's our number one goal uh, in our family. Number two goal for us is that they'll learn to love others as they, learn them, uh, as they love themselves. Those were the top two on Jesus' list. They were the top two in the Old Testament. I still think they ought to be the top two today And so we we want them to learn to love themselves as God loves them and to love others as they love themselves. So my interest is that they come through school with a healthy image of who God is, who they are, and service to others. Then the third thing is that they achieve a level of proficiency necessary to succeed In their god-given destiny in other words that they do well in school but that's number three that will flavor our view toward the amount of homework that they do when they do it what they attend or what they don't attend and everything in their academic career will be through put through that strainer because god's number one see moses is saying to us it would be heartbreaking if your kids experience the benefit of prosperity and a better lifestyle In other words, a land flowing with milk and honey that he talks about a little bit later, but they never really know God. And so he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Now, in Jewish society, Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema, the Shema. And it's recited frequently in Judaism. In fact, if you're an Orthodox Jew, when you get up in the morning, And when you go to bed at night, the first thing that you do and the last thing that you do in a day is that you recite the Shema, the scriptures that we're talking about. They would hang it on their door as a visual reminder to put God first. In fact, I was in Israel just a few months ago and took some of you with with us. We're going back. And I went into a jewelry uh, store. And here's a necklace, and it has in uh, the Hebrew words here, and a lot of these necklaces... Um, have the Shema on it so they wear it, the ideas that you wear it around your neck. And when you see it, it's a reminder of what really matters. That the Lord, our God, is one. It starts with God and it ends with God. When you remind yourself frequently that God is God, it lowers your stress level as a parent. You don't have to be God. You're not God. God is God. And then Moses would tell parents, stay focused and don't forget who your God is. See, Moses is telling them that it's easy to forget that it's all about God. It's easy for my thinking to be squeezed into a current culture mode that measures the success for my kids by superficial standards. I start thinking that the most important thing for them is to attend the right college, have the right career, marry the right people, Live in the right neighborhood. Be nice to animals and recycle. Now, all of those things are wonderful. They're good things, but they are not the most important. So when you imagine the end, you continually refocus on what is important. I love it. There's a great story in this book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, where the author uh, talks about when he was a teen, someone challenged him uh, to... um, Find something in his daily routine, something he was already doing, to remind him of the fact that God loved him. So he looks around. What, what's, what's constant in my daily routine that I could use as kind of a trigger to remind me that God loves me? And so, and so what he decided is that they had in their home one of these old um, uh, clocks, you know, one of the tick-tock, tick-tock that dings on the half hour and on the hour so he decided, that's going to be my reminder that God loves me. And so every morning when he would get up, what's the first thing he would hear? Ding, God loves you. At night, ding, God loves you. When he had arguments with his parents, ding in the middle of it, hey, remember, God loves you. When he was stressed out about school, when he had an important decision to make, whenever the current details of life would distract him, he said, the old alarm clock would remind him of what really mattered in life, And for Moses, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, was the, was the, he was ringing a bell. He was saying, do this, do this regularly so that it, as often as you do, you remember what's important and you align yourself and your life and your family around, around that thing. And so maybe it, it, it would be good if we would pick a constant reminder in our everyday lifestyle. I thought that was a great idea that would refocus you just at periodic times throughout the day on what is important. So live with the end in mind by deciding what's important. Let me give you a second idea uh, from scripture about uh, how to to live with the end in mind. Uh, Initiate discussions that matter. Initiate discussions that matter. Now, I'm gonna give you three kind of moments to capture, all right? They all start with M, which is really cheesy, but that's just how I am, okay? So I've been that way for 25 years. It's just a deal. All right, here's the first one. Uh, Capture memory moments, memory moments. Moses goes on, he tells you as parents how to do that. He says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your child. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed. And when you're getting up, he said there's rhythms. In fact, week number four, we're going to talk about rhythms that we can institute in our lives and our families' lives to do this better. The Jewish people, what they did was when Moses gave this command, they began to take it very, very seriously and they institutionalized it in their life. Now, some of it's good, some of it can become legalistic. But let's go through a few of the things that Jewish families and Jewish people did in order to capture memory moments. First of all, um, they instituted a Shabbat meal, a Shabbat dinner. Every Friday night, Orthodox Jews gather together on the Sabbath for a, for a meal. And the meal's about three hours long. All the kids are involved. The extended family is involved. It's kind of like a small group. And uh, they don't just eat, but at various points in the meal, they tell the story of God. Okay? So it's a weekly reminder, a memory time. Hey, kids, here's the story of God, and here's the story of God in our family. Then there are feasts and festivals. And each one of the feasts and festivals focused on one aspect of God's provision. So they remembered it so that, you know, something great happens, you know, and you go, wow, I'll never forget that. And two years from then, you can't even remember what it was. Well, every year they would, so for hundreds of years, Jewish families would remember God's provision, the story of God in that particular situation. Now, Jesus did the same thing. In Luke 22 and verse 19, Jesus is coming down to the end of his ministry He gathers the guys together, and he has what we call the Last Supper. Fortunately, Leonardo da Vinci was there to capture it with a camera or something, and so we've got a picture of that deal. And here's what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said to his disciples. He took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Here's what he knew. He knew that we'd forget. I just knew. You had, if you just graduated from high school, you had a whole group of friends on that last day of school. We will never forget each other. Now, Facebook helps, okay? Facebook helps, or hurts sometimes. But um, but what will happen is unless you do something proactive, you you know, a few years from now, you may not even remember some of their names. Um, Something great happens to you, and I'll never forget that. But we forget. Jesus knew that there was going to be something traumatic and yet great that would happen. He was going to go and he was going to die for the sins of man. And he tells his guys, he says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, when you come together and have this meal, I want you to to do this and remember me. Because you're going to forget. And so down through the centuries, the church has instituted the, the Lord's Table, Holy Communion, we do it at, here at the Seacoast campuses, we do it every week, every week, so that we will take time to remember, remember the story of God in our lives, okay? So Jesus said that. So how do, how do you create memory moments to tell the story of God? It's actually kind of easy. Major holidays, those are low-hanging fruit. You know, Christmas, you sit down, you read the story with your family, you talk about God's goodness. Thanksgiving, we gather At our tables at Thanksgiving, and we always take time to talk about the story of God in that year uh, with our family. You can do it with all the major holidays, and we could spend time talking about that, but you can do that. Family tradition. Uh, I can remember growing up, you guys know my story a little bit. My grandfather was a bootlegger, and um, he did quite well with that. The United States government did him a favor and had prohibition. And outlawed something everybody wanted, and so he he was uh, he was selling bootleg liquor and doing well, and and uh, and and he got saved, and his whole life changed, and he he uh, ultimately became a church planter, and he would go into little towns in Oklahoma, and he would plant churches. Now I'm I work with the Ark, and we all give a part of our income to the Ark to plant churches, and we we make sure that they have a you know a. A, a core team of at least 40 or 50 people and they have, they're have they well-funded and all this kind of thing. That wasn't Grandpa. He'd go into a town and preach up a church. That's what he called it. He'd go in and just preach up a church. And sometimes there, there, there was nobody and there was no income at all to take care of the pastor. And I can remember my grandma telling stories about God's provision. She gave a story one time when they had no groceries at all, none. Grandpa was a proud man in the sense that he would never tell anybody what his needs were, never. He would never tell you that he had an issue or need. Everything was always good with him. And uh, so they didn't tell anybody. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. And at the last minute, somebody, they don't even know to this day who it was, left bags of groceries uh, on, their, on their porch. And Grandma would the bags would grow every year when Grandma would tell the story. But still, it was a great story. <laughs> and so as a kid, I knew the story of God in my family, that God was a provider, that God provided uh, when you put him first. And so um, um, I, I, I was, this is like mention Greg's book week, I know. I'm not trying to hawk it, but it is the great, greatest book I've ever written. But um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, you know that, seriously. But uh, the, um, I wrote this book, a lot of you have read it, and, but I didn't write it for you. I didn't write it for you. Let me tell you who I wrote it for. I, I, um, I put in the, um, in the um, what do you call it, the dedication Here it is, let me find it, I'm sure it's in here. I wrote it, I know I did, here it is, here it is. The dedication of this book, I said to to mom and dad, your example, uh, to, to us made following Jesus very natural thing. To Debbie, my wife, girlfriend, partner and friend, your belief in me helped us to get started and your encouragement kept us going. To my kids, Jason and Jenna and Josh and Lisa, Jessica and Josh, Jenny and Ben, I'm amazed and proud of who you are becoming. Your mother must have done something right. And then here it is. Here's who I wrote it to. Here's who I'll be honest with you. Every day when I wrote, I thought about these guys. To Miles and Addison, Greta Kate, Everly, Ryland, Sadie, Emery, Judah, Sutherland, and all who will come after you. That's my grandkids. Now, there's there's a bun in the oven, so there's one on the way. That's 10 for those of you who are scoring at home. Here's what I said. I, I wrote this for you so that you would know the faith of your family and how it all began. I'm glad you guys read this, but here's who I wrote it for. I was hoping that someday, when they grow up, one of my grandkids or great-grandkids, maybe during a struggle with faith, doubt, hope, love, all things I talked about, would pick up this book and read the faith of their grandfather or their great-grandfather, and they would know it would pass it down. Now, so I was thinking about that. All of you can't write a book. Some of you should never write a book. I read your Facebook posts. Don't write them. But here's what you could do. You could write a letter. You could write a letter. I know people that have letters from their parents that they absolutely cherish. Where a parent sits down. Maybe this would be a good, just a good exercise for everybody in this room. To sit down, whether you're a parent or not, and just write a letter outlining um, the, the story of God in your life and in your family. And who knows, if you give it at the right time, that might become a cherished um, tool in your family down through the the years. Um, Something else you could do is have family communion together. Every once in a while, just do They Say, well, we don't have a priest. No, you are a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. We believe that. Just sit down and and, and, uh, in communion, just share the story of God in your family. So... So you've got, um, you've got uh, memory moments, and the second one is uh, meandering moments. That's kind of what I'm doing right now, meandering moments. It's actually the drive time, and we'll talk more about drive time in a couple of weeks. But it's uh, times like that when you're just, you know, you're out walking or driving or whatever, and you capture those moments. What if the next time you had like a drive of 10 to 15, maybe 20 minutes or more, uh, either with your kids or a friend or whatever, what if you prayed before you got in the car and said, God, would you make this kind of time, this drive time, meaningful? Um, I've told you before, I won't get into details, about one of the drive times I took in Colorado. We, uh, we were on, on a vacation. We lived here. We were on a vacation with our kids, and um, we uh, got in a car in Denver and drove all the way across the mountains toward Grand Junction, and uh, I thought, you know, what a great time to talk about biblical economics. Now, my wife, Yonda, went to sleep. I don't blame her. She's heard the talk before. But I thought, I'm going to talk to my kids about what the Bible says about money. And so we talked about 10, 1080, that every every time you get money, you give at least 10% of it to God right away, just recognizing he's the Lord of everything. That's one of the ways you can tell he's first place in your life. And so you just give it to him. And it also assures his blessing on the rest of it. Then you take 10% and you put it away. And then you take the 80% and you live responsibly on that. You look around for people who have less than you. You give to them. You give gifts. Um, you buy things that you can afford. And um, we, we just had that talk, which would be a great idea for the government to have that talk, but that's just another, <laughs> another deal. But meandering moments that, that Im- impress on your kids. And meltdown moments. One more, meltdown moments. What are meltdown moments? You know what they are. How many of your kids have meltdown moments? Anybody, Anybody here has ever had a meltdown moment? Yeah, they're self-esteem moments. They're, they're uh, breakup moments. They're nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I'm gonna eat a worm moments. It's the, those times, you know. And here here's what's dads especially, men, or brothers or uncles or whatever. We have a hard time with those moments. You're crying. I don't know what to do. You know, uh, don't cry. No, that's the wrong response. Okay, <laughs> wrong response is don't cry. Let me give you another wrong response. Hey, little Megan, don't worry. You'll be popular someday. No, she might not be. You know, there's a lot of things that have to do with popularity. Or, hey, little Miles, don't worry, you'll make the team next year. Uh, he might not be any good. You don't know, he might not, yeah, that's not a good response. Hey, Abigail, don't worry, you'll grow into that nose. Some people never do, okay? <laughs> Let's just, some people never do. It's all right. So what do you do? Here, here's a rule of thumb. You don't hear anything else from today. What do you do when you don't know what to say? What do you do when somebody asks you a question and you don't have a good answer to it? Rule of thumb, point them to Jesus, okay? Point them to God, rule of thumb, because God is forever. God can be trusted. God's word is true. So always point them to Jesus. Maybe you use Psalm 139 and verse 14. I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I mean, you take them to the mirror and say, look, look at that, God made you, and he did a good job. He always does. Um, 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. You're a child of God. Um, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9 says, of all the people of the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his special Treasure. You know, if you can explain that to kids, you don't have to preach. This preaches itself. God chose you to be his special treasure. Um, Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Charm is deceptive. That means some people who are popular today may not be popular tomorrow. Um, beauty does not last, okay? But he says, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. I love this one. Romans eight thirty-one. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And on and on and on and on. So you say, what if I don't know scriptures well enough to point them to Jesus? Here's what you do. Beat yourself up and feel guilty and read the Bible more often. Okay? No, that's not good at all. Here's what you do. Cheat. Okay? Get yourself one of these. Don't have to be this one. But these are Bible promise books. I love these. It costs about $4. We've got them in our bookstore. You don't have to buy them here. Get get one. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, But did you know there are over 7,000 promises in the word of God? This just pulls them out and compacts them all in one place, like the um, table of contents. What to do? There's just so many of them. But here's here's some. Uh, Page 98, what to do when you're afraid. And there's a whole bunch of scriptures on that. What to do when when you're in doubt about yourself. You know anybody that's ever like that? Whole bunch of scriptures, page 102. On and on and on and on. So just get one of those for, for your parental toolbox, all right? Uh, how to live with the end in mind. Decide what's important. Initiate conversations that matter. And then l- let me give you a third one, and we'll kind of close with this. Let, let your faith be their guide. Let your faith be their guide. Last week, we talked, we talked to you uh, in depth about exposing them to the church, uh, exposing them to the faith community. That's the first thing you do. But let me, t- let me tell you something else you can do with your faith. Step up and become the spiritual leader in your home. Become the spiritual leader, whether you're a a father, a mother, aunt and uncle, whatever it happens to be, grandparent, step up and become the spiritual leader in your home. Now, that's a scary thought, I know. If you want to inspire guilt in the heart of every man, all I have to do is tee up a message on you need to become the spiritual leader of your home. Man up and become the spiritual leader. We can have altar calls that are huge because we all feel totally guilty about that. Every one of us do. First of all, honestly, some days we don't feel all that spiritual. And we're not sure that we know how to lead. We can do it. I remember my first swing at spiritual leadership. Before I got married, I lived in a house with at least seven people all of the time. These are friends and what have you. Plus occasional wives, girlfriends. We all parked our motorcycles inside the house. And it was just a duplex, so it wasn't even a whole house. And so it was just chaos all the time. About that point, I rededicated myself to God. And when I did, someone said to me, you know what, you're a leader. I said, I don't feel like a leader. I said, why don't you become the spiritual leader of your house? And I said, well, that'll be interesting. I probably am the most spiritual person in the house, but that's not saying anything. And uh, they encouraged me to have a Bible study. I said, well, what do you do? I haven't, I, I'm a preacher's kid. I'd never read, I, I didn't read hardly any of the Bible, to be honest with you. And uh, said, well, read the book of John. That's a good place to start. I thought, okay, we'll do that. And here's what I discovered. I discovered that I didn't have to be a biblical star, uh, scholar. I only have to be a few verses ahead of everybody else. And that's what I did. And I had a Bible study, and I just, I'd read a little bit ahead. They'd have questions. I said, well, you know, he deals with that in the next verse. Look at this. And, uh, you know, <laughs> everybody, in the household, everybody in the household ended up rededicating themselves to God. Um, that, that's... You can be a spiritual leader. I love the definition of spiritual leadership that's in this chapter, in this book. I want to read it for you. I should have put it on the outline sheet because it's one we can all do. Spiritual leadership, they say, means parents assume the primary responsibility to help their kids take the next step in their pursuit of a relationship with God. Let me read it again. Spiritual leadership means that parents assume the primary responsibility to help their kids take the next step in their pursuit of a relationship with God. You know what? I can do that. I don't have to. You know, what we do is we get overwhelmed when we look way far out ahead, this spiritual leadership thing. All we gotta do is look at the next step. What's the next step? That's what we say at Seacoast all the time. What's your next step? We're not worried about five steps from now. It's just, what can we help you to do next? You don't have to know everything there is to know about God to do that, you just have to be a little bit ahead. Just make God a priority in your your home. Widen circles of influence and help kids take their next step. You know, for some of us, the most important thing you could do to spiritually lead your home is just to acknowledge that you don't have it all together. Acknowledge your limitations. You're not perfect. Newsflash, your kids are aware of that. There's nobody in your house that's going to confuse you with Jesus. Trust me, okay? (laughs) Trust me. And so so what do we do? Listen, one of the most powerful things you can do in leading spiritually is just admit when you've blown it. That's why we have crosses in every campus that we're a part of. Because every week we give you an opportunity to admit that you've blown it, to understand that you're not God. You're imperfect. And so you just confess your sin. The Bible says when you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And guess what? Your family's the same way. You know, what I've discovered with people over the years is that people will forgive just about anything except deception, except for deception. You just be honest. You say, you know what, kids? You heard me, you saw me, or maybe you didn't see me. I blew it, and I I just want you to know that. And I'd like to ask you, I've talked to God about it, and I'd just like to ask you to forgive me. You know how powerful that is? That's incredible. That's incredible. Um. And when you do, you recognize that God is God, and you're not. You know, there were times when I found myself at the end of me. There were times in our raising of our kids, I didn't know what to do. I'd read all the books, listened to all the podcasts. Actually, I didn't listen to podcasts. I listened to tapes, but I wanted you to think I was hip and cool. We didn't have podcasts back then. Nothing I did seemed to help. When there were no simple solutions, no quick fixes, no clear path, there's only God. And sometimes it's real difficult as parents to step back and go, you know, I really can't control this. Guess what? You can't control hardly anything. But God does. And we trust God to show up and do what only he can. Because God can be a better friend in the middle of a crisis than you can. God can love your kids unconditionally. You have a hard time doing that. God can forgive your kids forever. God can heal their hearts and give them eternal life. So, parents, I want to challenge you. If you're going to live with the end in mind, decide what's important, maximize daily conversations, let your faith be their guide. And when even that seems in, insufficient, man, I've done all that, and there's, there's not like a one, two, three, how to raise perfect kids. When nothing works, you need to remember that God is God and God is in control. And what a relief that is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, uh, today, you've challenged us. You've challenged us to put you first every area of our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, really process what does that mean for me individually. God, I ask that your kingdom would come in the next few minutes and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I want to do this. Um, Let's just bow our heads, if if you would. Just bow our heads. I want you to think about just the, the, the first idea that we talked about, the deciding what's important. Where are you at in that whole process? In deciding what's important. I talked about a list. Is God number one on the list for you? And is there evidence of that in your life, really? Maybe some of us have never really, never really made a decision to put God number one on the list. I want to invite you to do that today. Why wouldn't you put the God of the universe, the most powerful entity that you can think of, that loves you and wants you to be a part of his family, wants to guide you into your destiny, the destiny that he has for you. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? I want to challenge you to do that. Others of us, we just need to recalibrate today, you know. There have been times when God's been number one, but there's evidence of some drift, some mission drift. And today you want to say, you know what? Let's put it in order. If I'm talking to you, would you just put your hand up real quick in this place and go, would you pray for me, Pastor? I I wanna put God first and I'm not sure that he really is there, okay. All right, all over this place, everywhere, okay. All right, good, up in the balconies, campuses, everywhere, okay, you can put your hand down. I wanna pray for you. God, I thank you today for your kingdom. Thank you for people that you love you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die for so that we could have relationships, so that we could be released from the guilt and the penalty of sin. God, I just pray that you would speak to each person that raised their hand, God, that there would just be a sense of, okay, this is the right decision, this is the right thing. Help us to walk in light of our decision to put you first. Guide us by your Holy Spirit.